Welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast, Adweek's agency podcast of the year. Every episode, we listen to and learn from people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here's your host, Rob Schwartz. All right, well, thank you for tuning in. Wow, you're in for a treat. Our guest today is one of the most creative people in branding and advertising, and his name is Jason Sperling. Jason is the author of the new book, Creative Directions, Mastering the Transition from Talent to Leader. In his day job, Jason is the Global Executive Creative Director of Facebook Reality Labs. Prior to that, he held very senior jobs at RPA and TBWA Media Arts Lab, where he worked on the campaign Adweek declared, quote unquote, best of the century, that being Mac versus PC, AKA the Get a Mac campaign. He's won Grand Effies, won Show Pencils, even an Emmy nom. Jason, welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Rob. Now, I pulled that off LinkedIn. And by the way, there was a warning on LinkedIn because there was actually more stuff to say about you. How have you, <laughs> I mean, boy, you were a TEDx speaker, unbelievable. Yeah, and I, I want to make sure that the story gets out there. And I know I've told it to you a few times since I've seen you last, but when I was just starting out in the business and Shiat, you know, my dreams fulfilled, flew me down to LA for a meeting. You were trying to approve some creative, so you were running long. So they said, just hang out. And I went over the basketball court and I was like, oh my God, a basketball court in the middle of an agency. So I started shooting and then someone said, hey, you might want to take off your shoes policy here. So I took off my shoes and about 15 minutes later and several shots later and me running around to get the ball so it didn't go in someone's office, you were ready to talk. And I walked into your office with my shoes in my hand, sweating profusely. And oddly enough, I didn't get the job. There was a lesson in that. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you remember it as like, that had nothing to do with it. In my mind, that had everything to do with it. Who is this guy that, that comes in and approaches an interview with, with this amount of seriousness? Listen, we're, we're gonna get to that when we get to your journey, because one thing I will say, what I do remember about that meeting is that you had a very interesting book, great book, and I thought you were amazing. I think we stayed in touch and I think good things happen, but we're gonna get to that. I wanna get to the news. Okay. You have written a fantastic book, Creative Directions. And I think it's kind of, I have it right here. I've been reading it all morning again. I love it. And you know what I realized this book is? This book is the Creative MBA. Mm. It's the Creative Director's MBA. But from your point of view, you tell us, like, what is this book? Uh, <laughs> this is hopefully a compendium of knowledge that has come to me through the years of you know going from a creative person who made things who you know spent most of my day with a partner throwing a ball against the wall in an office and just dreaming stuff up to suddenly through that success being put in charge of people in charge of projects in charge of client relationships and it was a complete 180 from the world that i lived in and there was no sort of like, we're gonna put you through a training program. It was more of a trial by fire. And I should say there was that along with, at the time I was, that might've been the gas, but I think the spark came from when I was at the 3% conference, I don't remember the year. And I heard a lot of people talking about creative director jobs and the need for training. And someone on the panel said, 
you get better training at a fast food restaurant than you do in an ad agency. And that totally resonated. I mean, it got huge laughs at the conference and it made total sense. Like why of all the people that need the extra training, it's us because we have such a leap to make. And not to mention, we have just a, a different wiring entirely. So I started it really with the goal of like, can I make a book that just a tiny book, like an, you know, the Ogilvy book of advice that sits with people on their bookshelf and hopefully helps some folks. And as I started to write it, it was like, wow, there is a lot of advice that goes beyond just sort of like, how do you make the transition? But it's like, how do you connect with peers? How do you connect with bosses? How do you connect with clients? Your relationship to the work and how does that change? Your career I and mean, how should you regard that? And then what I think really makes the book worthwhile is that I realized I'm in advertising. Advertising is just one of many commercial careers, commercial art careers. And so I opened it up to people in a lot of different fields and got some folks that I thought would, would help really, you know, make this more marketable, like Ava DuVernay and, and Joe Russo, who directed Avengers and a lot of others, including one Mr. Rob Schwartz. And I just, I opened it up to them. They took whatever advice I was giving and either turned it into a broader sort of philosophical statement, or they lent their stories, their personal mm -hmm. stories to it. Right. And that's what really, I think, makes it valuable. It really does become like a, a masterclass from a lot of different experts on, on how you make that transition. Absolutely. I, masterclass, I think, is, is more precise. I think, you know, one of the things I think is very interesting is just topics. Now, you hinted at that up front. You know, section one, managing people. Section two, being a leader. Section three, managing clients and higher ups. Section four, the work. Section five, the career. I mean, when you think about those five sections, those are, like you say, those are the pieces that when you're throwing a ball up against a wall with your partner trying to crack an idea, you are not thinking about. Right, yeah. And the truth is too, is that we as creative people, so much of our identity is in the work that we make, right? Mm. And it being appreciated by our bosses, by our peers, by our parents, by the, the audience, God forbid. Yeah, the audience, exactly. And so, so much of that, you have to be able to, in some ways, overcome that ego and those insecurities when you start managing people and, you know, go from self-promotion to championing other people's work. Right. Um, and it's not, it's not easy. It's so hard on you, especially in the beginning, especially when you're first doing that, because to see someone else get the, the accolades and the pat on the back and the, wow, they're just killing it, you know, is really hard, but that is part of our role. I, I think that is the, the biggest shift. You know, I, I called it, uh, you know, from buddy to boss. Yeah. And it's within like there is that you have to go from me to we, you know, uh, speaking of 3%, you know, Xanthi Wells and I did a presentation on, on creative directors and we hit this insight that you almost have to turn everything upside down. Like you go from, you know, kind of, you know, me to, to we, to everyone, you go from like my book to our team or our right. agency. I mean, everything is just turned upside down and yeah. it's hard to do as, you know, kind of narcissistic by nature, people, creative people. Right. Yeah. The creative people who it's not necessarily an immediate, like pencils down for you. And all you do is, is evaluate work, but there is a, a sudden transition from like, spending most of your day making it to most of your day looking at other people's ideas and saying, you know, great, 
I like it. Yeah. And knowing when to say like, okay, I know that I still have that desire to make something, but this is really good as is, you know, right. I need to be able to say, okay, I like it as is, I'm not going to touch it, but also know that when I am saying it's all wrong, here's a suggestion that it's coming from the right place. Exactly. No, I, I think, I think what you say is so true. There's this from making it to making it better, but within that, there's also from making it to just leaving it alone. Yeah. Yeah. It's very hard to find good creative directors who don't want to put a thumbprint on something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's true. I've, I've, and I've worked with all sorts, the ones who insisted and the ones who were able to do that and did it well. And I, and I think you, you covered that in the book. I, I think what's also great about the book too, is I like the structure of it. So, you know, as I experience it, you, you, what I love about the book is you can come in anywhere. You don't have to read this page one, you know, to page, you know, 342. But the structure of it is you give an overview of what the, you know, the, the chapter is going to be, you know, if it's on the work, let's say, or if it's on managing up overview. And then you have quotes from some of the best people, like you say, on Madison Avenue, in Hollywood, you know, in the record business, these great quotes, like from really wonderful people. And then there's this brilliant, crisp summary. I mean, I just, I just thought the structure of it was, was just fantastic. So, I mean, when you started the book, was the structure like this? The structure was almost entirely, I should say, I, I, I was a little nervous, you know, when, when you, you get to a big publisher, they say, yeah, we'll, we'll publish your book. And then you're like, oh my God, are they going to ask me like, great first draft. Now mm. let's start writing it because I don't have that time. You know, like I did it. It was cathartic, you know, it's like, it's out of me, it's done, go sell it, please. And thankfully they kept everything almost verbatim. The only thing they asked me to add was the thing that you pointed out, which is what the, what they said summarized, they thought would be a good way to take that. And, and I thought that was a great idea just because at the end of the day, this is made for creative people, right? We don't want to necessarily go from page one to 300 and have to like dog ear a page and remember where we were. and oh yeah, what was this big principle they were talking about that they just waxed on forever? It's like, be succinct, be artful in the way you do it and make it for us sort of busy ADD personalities where we can just like pick it up, read a few pages. Oh, what shiny, shiny, we're distracted. You know, we'll come back to it later. But but I, yes, I, I, I totally agree with you. And by the way, I, it's, I love writing. I hate rewriting. <laughs> that's, that's really the problem. But I, I think you're right, though, about the ADD thing. But what I do like about it, though, is that when you need a little inspiration, when you need to go, God, how do I, how do I manage up here? All of a sudden, you have some brilliant people who can give you some keys to the kingdom. So it, it's pretty good. So yeah. I want to talk about some, some of the people that you got, because you got, you have some, some fantastic people. I mean, you know, just two of my advertising heroes, you know, they have Jeff Goodby in there and, and Bill Westbrook. I mean, just incredible. How did you get these people? Like who, any... Um, that's the hustle part of this whole thing is no one is sort of like itch. I mean, if you can get someone's ear, you know, that's at a certain level and you can really pitch it to them and, and do a good job of pitching mm. it. And hopefully the key is really to have a couple anchor points, right? Mm. So when you get someone like Ava DuVernay to sign on, when you get, I'm trying to think of some of the bigger ones. My daughter played softball with the executive producer of The Simpsons. Um, mm. And when you can start to say, hey, these, these people are, are going to be part of it. I'd love for you to be part of it, too. You know you're in good company. It gives a little bit of an endorsement to a no-name like me. And people have a little, more, little bit more faith. What you're saying is the ad people, they just, yeah, sure, we'll do it. But 
Davis Guggenheim, he needed a little reassurance that, you know, <laughs> he was hanging out, you know, maybe yeah. with, I don't know, Ted Price or uh, who else do we have in here? Some of these are the luminaries, like you say, Ava yeah. DuVernay. I mean, yeah, you know, there's some, you know, to be honest, like Angus Wall, Joe Russo, they actually have some roots in the commercial world. So they have representatives that are at least going to entertain it and I don't have to go directly to them. And there may even be a little self-interest there. That's totally fine. Um, By the way, we like Angus. How many fucking Honda spots have I given you? Come on, man. <laughs> he did. He did do a fantastic job. On it. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But um, Bill Westbrook, I was going to say, is someone that I, I love to death. I got the privilege to work with him when we were trying to keep the Honda business. And we brought him on as a consultant. And oh, wow. we stayed in touch over the years. He invited me to his getaway in Minnesota. And when my wife and I missed the plane and had to cancel last minute, that was the last time we got invited. But he's been he's generous with his with his time and his advice. And that's great. Um, yeah, no, the, no, the, the advertising people in the book are, are, are top notch. I mean, you know, Jeff Goodby, you know, Lance you know, Jensen and you got Xanthi in there, I see and Duncan, you know, you got some amazing people. So I, I love anybody who's in our business, you know, David Angelo, you know, you, you're talking to all great people. But to see, you know, the folks in Hollywood who had, I don't know, very simpatico advice. Yeah. You know, that was almost a revelation. It's different worlds to a certain extent. Their clients are different. You know, their clients are studios or their clients are, you know, the general public that they're trying to please. But the one that was really interesting to me was the TV world because mm. the writer's room is so different. That to me is, is just like its own... There's nothing quite like it. And to hear Scott Marger, who is one of the executive producers on Rick and Morty, talk about how he's got a room, every single one of the writers in there was a class clown, was voted class clown in their high school. They're all brilliant, gifted, want to be the center of attention and probably insecure to a certain extent. And they're just pitching ideas left and right. And a lot of them are just going to die out there. You know, no one's going to go, yeah, yeah. It's just going to like be crickets. And so what does that effect have on a person's ego, you know, their ability to keep throwing stuff out? And so, you know, he talked a lot about you know, how do you nurture talent in that type of environment, which is so different than anything else. And it's so sink or swim in like a real time way versus, you know, in advertising, we sit for weeks and, and then we find out whether or not our, our stuff is good or bad. Anyway, really interesting stuff. Well, uh, you know, you, you asked who else has been on the show. So we had Bill Oakley on the show. And Bill, of course, uh, ran The Simpsons for a while. And he did another show called uh, Omission Hill. That became the new name, which is where I met him. And uh, so if you're interested in the writer's room and things of that nature, please uh, check out that episode. It would be good for you. A little plug in there. A little disruption <laughs> right in there in, in, in the plug. You know, I, I, I was thinking about, you know, what, what are you really disrupting? And I think you are disrupting the chaos and the archetype of the I'm a genius, I don't have time to manage creative director. Hmm. You know, and I think in a world now where we are more inclusive and we are trying to bring more people in and bring more people along, we need creative directors who've got more skills, more soft skills, more EQ, and frankly, from your book, more ways to actually know how to lead. Hmm. So I think the book is, is super timely. It's great. I should say too, it was important in addition to getting people from different 
career fields. And, and, you know, in addition to getting diverse group of people, one of those diversities was experience. Mm. Um, hearing someone who's chairman is very different than hearing from someone who is an active creative director, who's got, who's got someone of maybe two layers or three mm. layers above them, who's got direct interface every day with a client, you know, who's got charges below them who are um, counting on them to to advocate and, and clear paths. And so to hear from them too about, you know, what their experience is and even their thoughts and stories, I think is important because a chairman is, it, you know, might regale us with great stories, but it's not necessarily the same experience that people are having every day. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, I, the, the, the scope and the breadth, I, I think is fantastic. So I want to jump to your day job though now, you know, I just want you to know, I've been walking around New York City. And uh, <laughs> let me just say that the media buy for the Billie Eilish Beat Saber for Oculus. Oh, wow. Look at that. That's out. Buddy, <laughs> this is, first of all, it looks great. But the media is really impressive. This is like an old school campaign and it's media. I mean, it is a very modern campaign. But man, the media is everywhere. And it's done really well, really smartly. So tell us a little bit about what is going on at Facebook Reality Labs and your day job. I've said this to a few people that I work with. You know, I walked in about a year ago, having worked my whole life on the agency side. And I come in to this group that is fairly, you know, feels like a pet project. You know, it feels mm. like we're on the sidelines a little bit, like making some hardware products that some people are using, but not necessarily really having huge cultural impact yet. And I suddenly walk in, there's a brand new Oculus you know, Quest 2 comes out. It's actually finally, you know, it seems to have hit that inflection point of like form factor, the, you know, the games and, and different apps are there, like everything is working suddenly. And it makes me feel like there have been people waiting in line for Star Wars for months, right? right. You know, they've lived in their tents, they've eaten, you know, nothing but fast food and shivering in the cold. About an hour before showtime, I walk up. And I'm like, hey, Rob, how's it going? Yeah, yeah, mind if I go in with you? It doesn't feel fair, but I, I have to say it's 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 amazing. You know, coming in here, the group is like, the, the products are unbelievable and feel to me, you know, the evocative of that era when I was with Media Arts Lab working on Apple and the iPhone and the iPad and just, you know, we were launching those. And it's like, you feel like these are pieces of technology between Quest between Portal and, and what that's doing between the Ray-Ban Stories glasses that just came out, like those could have real impact and change the way we do things, the way we communicate, yeah. the way we connect. Yeah, no, I, I think it's terrific. And I like what, what's happening. It's interesting because like you said, you know, you are in the right place, the right time, you know, with, with this uh, Reality Labs group, you were at the right place, the right time, you know, working on Apple at a great moment, <laughs> great product. I mean, we'll get to that, but, but where did it start? Now, for some reason, I feel like when I first met you, when you would tell me your book, I had something about a carpet store in my mind. Is, <laughs> is there something about carpeting in our yeah. so connection? Just for when, we, when we first <laughs> met and I, I came in with shoes in hand and a giant portfolio, and by the way, your memory of like, it was a good book, I remember years later when we met in Cannes and we were we were in an airport. I think we were on our way back. You know, we were part of TBWA group over there. And yeah. you said to me, I think we had just won Lions for the Mac PC campaign. And you're like, 
you know, when I first met you, I thought, I don't know where this guy, what, like, I, I forget what the word you used was, but you were like, there was no certainty. You could go either way. And, and it's true. And so what you're remembering with the carpet store was in my first book, when I first walked in your door, I had done, yeah, I was not getting the swings that, you know, you need to be able to, mm. to show people what you're, what you're made of. And so I was like, dad, my dad runs a carpet store, family carpet store. I'm like, let me do some ads for you. And I thought they were really great. I thought they were really creative, but they actually, you know, I'm sure they led to a conversation between us. I, you probably had a house that needed carpeting and wanted to know more about it. <laughs> but all I know was, is all these years later, I yeah. remember the carpet ads. I don't remember any of the executions, but I think they were good. I remember them. So, so, all right. So you have, uh, again, this really kind of incredible career and just, you know, some amazing stuff. I mean, when you look at uh, your moment, you know, working on Apple, you know, at TBWA Media Arts Lab, I mean, that was kind of a golden moment. On Mac PC, did you feel, you know, we mentioned a TV writer's room, a campaign that had 66 executions, you know, and more that, that uh, you know, were on the cutting room floor. Something so episodic. Did you feel that it was kind of like a TV writer's room? Oh my God. There, there, right. I mean, it wasn't like a, like what I've learned is a writer's room, but there were definitely elements of that. The team, it was a great team, you know, and we would, once we had sort of started to hit stride and it became, uh, all right, these guys get it, let them go off, do their thing. There were like five of us and we would get together anywhere, anyone's house, any coffee house, and we would just riff and it was the best time ever and then you get on set and i should say too like the rigors of apple will make anyone an amazing creative because there's nothing like that like you said there were a million rounds we get to that and then it's you know we're still trying to hit the bullseye for steve jobs every you know week in and week out and so we would be on set with whatever you know we write a hundred you know whittle it down to 20 shoot those shoot five endings for each while you're on set you realize all five of your endings don't work so you're you're writing more or the the actor or the director says this isn't working we're going to suspend production until you rewrite mm. it it was phenomenal it was scary but exhilarating it was always exhilarating it was it was really fun yeah i remember i don't know if you were there yet but i do remember that there was about nine rounds of work for the Mac till that one hit, or like that was the 11th, I forget. There was a lot of work before Mac PC yeah. was even birthed. And then once it was birthed, I think, you know, just, you know, the amount of energy and talent just took a great idea. And I think to this day, you know, like Edwig said, you know, best of the, of the century, whatever their comment was. Uh, yeah, best of the century, without question. I will say though, after we did round one and it was out there, I did not anticipate the response being what it was. I can't honestly say, I mean, maybe Lee Cloud can and say like, oh, I knew it. I knew it would be a hit. I was more like, oh, wow, they like this. It's so darn simple. You know, there's none of the advertising tropes that I'm used to. I was surprised. Yeah. And, you know, I, I feel like, uh, and again, I, I'm a longtime TVWAer, so I, I drank the Kool-Aid on, uh, you know, being reductive and simple. Do you find that in this day and age with all these platforms, 
is there any room left for just like good stories, you know? Mm. Simple stories, you know? I feel like, uh, I don't know, I just kind of see a blizzard of dreck. <laughs> it is. It has become a self-fulfilling prophecy in a lot of ways. I wrote an article a few years ago about how we sort of blew it with the skip ad functionality. Mm. And what we should have done is, you know, once we got into the, the pre-roll and allowing people to avoid our advertising, what we should have done was skip to end. Because if you think about the storytelling methodology, mm. you set up a story, you give it time to grow, and then ultimately you give yourself the opportunity, even though there might be product integration, you know, throughout, you give the opportunity to pay it off in a way that is fulfilling to the audience. And then we, we pile all of our our logos are, you know, buy it now, here's the deal, whatever at the end, right? That's how we told yeah. stories. Yeah. And when you say, okay, now everything is, you know, the first five seconds, you know, you may lose someone. How do we oh. pack it all in the front end? And so we're front loading instead of back loading. And what we should have done is followed the, the Netflix example, which is skip to the end, right? And what Netflix does is like at the end of you know, if you've seen, if you're on episode four and you've seen the intro a million times, it'll let you skip it and just get to the name of the show, the director, you know, and that. And so what, what it ended up happening is, is, you know, we front loaded with all the information now, there's no room for storytelling. People obviously don't like it. So what, you know, as our numbers go down, all the platforms say, people like shorter form, make shorter form because of course they hate it, you know, like we've, we've changed the, the storytelling narrative. And so we've become the arbiters of our destiny. We're now like down to 15s and sixes because we've made so much dreck for so long and we've altered the structure. And that's not the only reason. There's obviously different reasons with marketing budgets and, and different channels and, and the analytics that are tied to things now. But I do think storytelling and some of that bigger upper funnel brand building that just becomes riskier. You know, there's risk attached to it. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it's, it's a lot of money to make something that, you know, potentially all the, the art and craft you go into it will, you know, will be watched in a phone, you know, or it will be skipped over because people are able to. I, I, I want to just kind of walk this path for one more step with you. You mentioned something, you know, people are going to watch this on their phone and, you know, you're putting all this time and effort and craft. When you look at the Billie Eilish piece that you just made, I mean, this is unbelievably well-crafted. I mean, incredible production design. You know, it's a lovely story. She's fantastic, you know, on, her, on the music. And someone's going to watch this on their phone. How do you reconcile this? Because it's obvious a lot of time and craft went into something that's, you know, a little bit bigger than a postage stamp. Well, I think... You know, at the end of the day, I think we still want to put in the effort when these things are being made by us and where we want to take credit for them. You know, I mean, there's always going to be the sort of the influencer route or the let's rip away the artifice of, of it being an ad and take that craft away and, and, and consciously do that. You know, in these things, I still think there's merit to good craft, no matter where you're watching it. You know, plenty of TV shows and movies are being watched on phones and it's not stopping anyone from putting major, major money into effects. What, where I thought we did a good job as, as a team is, well, I, I should say, I thought it was incredibly brave by our team to say, all right, you know what? This is all about Beat Saber and Billie Eilish. 
And we've waited until, you know, the last part of the narrative arc of this to show the game. Obviously, that comes sooner in a shorter form piece, you know, 30 mm-hmm. seconds or 15. But to wait that long and to really tease that, I think, is brave these days, you know, yeah. to not necessarily, like, start with it. Yeah, uh, again, going back to, well, people yeah. are going to watch the first five seconds. Yeah, but the people that watch it, they go, oh, my God, what a journey. I yeah. love the journey of it. You can't have that journey in, in a few seconds. I'm right there with you. You know, today, just as a matter of fact, I saw a really nice PlayStation film for their chess. It was, it was I, I, don't, I think it was for a, for a chess game. Uh, and again, phenomenal production value. And I wanted to watch it. And I think, you know, with Super Bowl looming on the horizon, which I think has been not as good as it should be, I think it'll be interesting to see who is still going to put the time and effort and craft and be rewarded for it. Yeah, I agree. I'm super bold. Yeah. That's one. I don't understand why anything subpar ever makes it on. Uh, like who from the Skechers company every year is saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just put a commercial that you might normally see on like, a, you know, a, a daytime talk show on the Super Bowl. You know, it's it's just it's so hard to stand out. And and I don't mean to pick on a, on a brand, but I, I do want to say like, when you've got 50 plus brands that are competing during the game, around the game, you do not want to go in with something that you don't wholeheartedly believe in. Oh um, yeah, and by the way, let's not forget, it's gonna cost you upwards of $5.5 million, maybe 6 million, maybe a little over 6 million for the 30s. For the 30 just seconds. to put it on, yeah, just to, just for the air. Yeah. So it's crazy. It goes through, you know, with all that, I think people, the problem is I think people look at the price tag first, versus the, right. the actual media placement, because then it becomes, oh my God, all right, we better be careful. Let's take it to this person and you know this VP, this chairman or chairperson, you know this person on the product team, like let's get everybody to love this thing. And so the quality of creative just gets diluted you know, through all just, that. Just awful. All right, I want to come back to your journey now. So when did this thing all start for you? Advertising? Yeah, you know, you can't, I, I, I don't, again, I don't, when we first met, I'm not, were you in the business or you were just putting your book together? I don't remember. Let's see. I had been in the business for about six years and I actually thought at that point in my career that I might never break through. Um, mm. And, you know, I went to, I went to an ad school, the Academy of Art. It wasn't, wasn't necessarily where I was like, Ooh, that's, you know, I'm dying to go there, but like they were merciful enough to accept me with a very limited book. They had a great program, and if you got great teachers and you put everything into it, like you can get a lot out. But by the this was post because you know, I think you went to UCLA or yeah, UCLA for undergrad. Uh, and then after that, that was Academy of Art. I went to the Academy of Art, yeah, and I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do, but you know there was something there. I remember my first teacher, my campaign teacher, said, "Your writing is good, but your art direction is killing you." And so she, you know, that's from my shift from art director to writer went. But yeah, so I, I in, while I was in school, you know, like at the at the time, the the thing you really did was you looked through the communication arts annuals, like that mm-hmm. was the best work. And I saw your name, and I saw you know Lee, and all the great, you know, like Shiat was you know powerhouse, and it was like, oh, if I could only work there someday, you know. But as a creative person, as a young creative person, you had very few swings at, at big projects, mm-hmm. you know. I was working at a a few small agencies in the Bay Area, 
you know, so I, I wasn't coming from pedigree background. And so it was like, how am I ever going to make it? And I ended up going there at the time, there was a, a blog called where spot. Um, it, it was on Yahoo and it was used by a lot of commercial production people who were looking for, Hey, who directed this? Or, you know, what I'm looking for an actor for this, no, anyone good. You know, it was just like a lot of communication back and forth. Mm. And so I would jump on there with all of the scripts that my clients at the time didn't want to do, which, you know, were typically a little too creative. And right. I would say, I have, I have a script. If you've got a young director on mm. you that you're trying to get a, a reel for, happy to help. And I ended, up getting, I ended up getting like four or five different things shot. One of them was like a night shoot under the third street bridge. I still don't know how we got funded for that. I never, I never put in a dime and we ended up getting, and, and what I would do on the back end because there was a legitimacy issue, you know, to actually, if you wanted to do award shows or whatever, I would go looking for a client and say, Hey, I will pay to run this for you you know, in limited capacity, if you agree to, to be the client on it. And we got that for a few of them. And I remember one of the things started winning awards. I was at a place called Colby and Partners in LA. Oh, sure. Yeah, and, Colby, of course. Yeah. And so it was winning, it was winning some awards. And I remember Bob Garfield talking, you know, prognosticating on who would win at Cannes that year. And they mentioned this ad, which was, again, my, it was my spec ad. And I run into Rick Colby's office and I say, oh, my God, they think we're going to win. And he goes, yeah, I didn't enter that show. Oh. And I go, what? How could you not do it? Why? He's like, look, I mean, this is all questionable. And like, you know, I don't want to draw attention to the fact that this isn't for a legitimate client of ours. So I'm just like, ah, oh, killing me. But it did get the attention of, of some people at, at Shiat, which is what got me in the second time. Cause I didn't get the job the first time there, but it got to me in the second time where I got stood up and I won't say the, the creative director's name, but I got stood up, got taught a very good lesson, which was be nice to all the people that you work with because it could come back to you. I ran into a, an account person there who was like, Oh my God, Jason, you're here. Oh my God. You know, I didn't tell her the circumstances, but she's like, before you take a job with that group, you have to meet the folks who run Apple. And that turned into what would be my job at, at Apple. And, and then, you know, a few months later, everything changed. Well, offline, you can tell me who that was. Anywho. <laughs> sure. All right. So we've come to the part of the show where you've got to give us a piece of advice. And oh um, again, I think it's such a storied career. I was thinking maybe you should talk to the youngins, but maybe you should talk to the clients. I don't know. It's it's a fielder's choice. Give us a piece of advice, either some creative directions for a rising hmm. creative, or if you want to give some advice to a client. Well, I'll say this. Having just gone from being a, a lifelong creative person, or I should say, on the creative side, at the agency side, to now being a client and being someone who's who's been sitting across from almost a dozen agencies is, well, first of all, I, I think never forget where you've been and, you know, let whatever feelings you had guide you in the right direction moving forward. You know, I had really bad experiences when there was a creative person on the opposite end of a, a creative review on the client mm -hmm. side. I've really been like, uh, I guess, depressed about the fact that the relationship between client and 
agency has changed as much as it has. Mm -hmm. There's this vendor mentality or there's this, you know, gladiator come in and pitch against others. And, you know, just the dismissiveness of the value that, you know, agency partners bring. And I would just say to, to anyone who is sitting across from an agency to remember, I think that value to treat people with respect and to remember to like, not be short-sighted in that sort of like immediate goal of like, I need to get this done. I need to sell or, or whatever this many units. It's like, remember that if you are a good partner to your partners, that can pay dividends down the road, that connection, that mindset of like, an agency is going to want to do anything they can to support you if they know that you're there to support them. Mm. And, and that's, that's what I wholeheartedly believe. I, I wish more clients believe that way and did that. So that's been a bit of what, and, and really too, we have internal creatives as well. And so remembering mm. that as well, it's like, how do you balance all of that? But anyway, I peter out. That's my problem in, in, in life is, I have a thought and then I just peter out. I don't have like definitive end. It's just a, my life is a constant ellipses. <laughs> but listen, you, you, you pack a lot before you get to the ellipses. Right. That's, yeah. that, <laughs> that is, that, listen, I, I, I could talk to you for hours. So I, uh, we have to put a pin in it here, but uh, okay. I can't think enough. I mean, you, I'm so glad that we met on that day when you were sweaty on the basketball court. Because <laughs> Wonderful to know you and just watch your rise. And I love that you know you're still swinging and and, and doing great work. And I, and I can't thank you enough for this book. I, I think this is a really special book, Creative Directions: Mastering uh, the Transition from Talent to Leader. Thank you for for uh, for making that happen. I think it's it's really good for the business. And uh, personally, I I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It's it's cool. It's cool to see. I, I I got a note this morning actually from someone in the Philippines saying you have a a satisfied creative director over here in the Philippines. It's cool to see it having an impact, you know, beyond my parents. <laughs> Love that. All right, Jason, thank you so much. Thank you, Rob. Right. Thank you for listening to the Disruptor Series podcast, Adweek's agency podcast of the year. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashydayny.com. 